fellowship. We thank you for the time to be able to lift our petitions, our praises, our our concerns um, to your throne. To know that the God of heaven and earth, uh, the one who sustains us, uh, that you hear and you care, and that you are at work is um, is very comforting. And so I thank you for that. I I trust that the things that people have coming up this week and the things that might weigh on our hearts from schedules or, or logistics or even ministry opportunities that might might weigh heavy on us would be um, softened by knowing uh, that you, you're at work. And, and so thank you for loving us. Thank you for the promise of, of your word, uh, the promises that it contains. Thank you for the time in it, the victory that we can see. And Lord, I just pray for uh, just the time that we spend uh, looking in Exodus chapter 1, that you would be honored, that you would do the work, that you would do the educating, that you would do the teaching that you would do the remembering uh, on our behalf and are reminding us on our behalf. And uh, Lord, just be at work today and we'll be uh, careful to give you the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, I need a, a couple of uh, folks to maybe pass these. I, I don't know, maybe I did okay. I'm not sure if I did or not on dividing those up there. Um, so... I think I've got right at the number we need. If we're short, uh, if somebody could go make copies or print or something, that would be wonderful. So we are in, uh, you know, in our new series, Victory in Exodus. Victory in Exodus. We started last week looking about victory in affliction, right, and how more the more affliction, the more God was at work preparing. Uh, and, and so I'm excited about victory in fear today. And that might seem like a counterintuitive concept, having victory in fear. But when your fear is in the right place, then it's the right kind of fear then you can actually be victorious uh, when you operate from a position of fear uh, that you know especially of me and that can be a, a bit of a problem so we have a pretty decent chunk of scripture number of verses that we're going to cover so what I did is I is I broke them out on your handout in the section so we're going to take just a couple of verses at a time here uh, with a, within our uh, within our, our, our pattern. So remember that it, you may remember, and it's on the bottom, it's on the footnote of the back page. We're going to look at the situ, always look at the situation, the struggle, and then the victory, right? The situation, the struggle, and victory. So in uh, here, the situation in Exodus 1 15 and 16, and the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, uh, which the name of the one was Shephah. Uh, Shifra, and the name of the, I should have practiced that before, and the other Puah, and he said, "When um, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him; but if it be a daughter, then she shall live." And now this is that's a that's a tough situation. The king, which at that point was not like a president.
government, but the king, you know, controlled military kind of uh, authoritarian uh, position in Egypt is telling you to kill people, uh, innocent people. That that's that's a tough situation to be in, right? That's a tough situation. So now there are two midwives, um, and and I think it's does anybody think that's a little odd that there's two specific midwives named? I mean, I mean, it's a nation, yeah. a little bit maybe. Okay. Well, let's let's dig down into that a little bit. Only two midwives. So, so I did a little bit of internet research because the internet never lies. That's right. And <laughs> and and so, <laughs> the common rate, birth rate for modern third world countries today, those without necessarily great hospital or healthcare infrastructure is 35 births per year per thousand population. Okay, The U.S. it's 11 because of obviously um, birth control and those types of things but in, in third world, modern third world countries it's 35 births per thousand population. So that would be 350 births per year for a 10,000 population, just added a zero, simple math, right? About one every other day for midwife. So if there were two midwives and there were 350 births, about 350 days, I know there's a little more than that, but it's about one every other day for a midwife. Well, if you double that to 700 births a year, that's about one per day per midwife, right? So if there's 20,000, well, if you double that, about two per day per midwife would be about 40,000 population. And that's probably in the range of 60 to 80,000 in the nation of Israel at this point. If you remember our notes from last week, at least we talked about the growing population kind of triangle that was happening. So there's still 80 years from the actual exodus because Moses isn't born yet, right? So, so there's still a ways from the actual exodus and the obviously the nation of Israel in Egypt continues to grow. So if we're estimating, and I think it's a reasonable estimation that the number of, of Jews at this point, Israelites, children of Israel, uh, in Egypt was in that 60 to 80,000 range, each midwife would have three to four babies to deliver every day. Busy day, but doable, right? So it's not unreasonable for for there to be in a in a remember this at this point they're being treated as slaves the slave type mentality where it's maybe a just in time right they're not these these Jewish women these children of Israel women are not you know sitting in a hospital for hours before you know they're they're due there's kind of a the midwife gets there and helps them helps them deliver point being it's not unreasonable that there were two midwives okay it's not an, an unreasonable now the name uh, which I butchered Shifra uh, her name actually means fair uh, so it's actually from the Hebrew word for fair with respect to clearness of sky so like if we went outside and said the sky is fair today right it's that kind of concept of fair not fair as an equitable or fair as in maybe even light complexion you know so in the English 
English language, every language, there's one word that can often mean multiple things. But in this context, it means that the sky is open. Okay, And then pua means brilliant or glimmering. And I think these names are interesting, and I think there's reasons that these names are recorded in Scripture, in part because of the stand they take, but we can always learn from the names. And so in this case, we're going to learn from the names that let nothing come between you and the God of heaven. Right? There's no clouds. There's no, there's no obstruction between the God of heaven and, and this individual. So uh, um, by his spirit he, has gar- he hath garnished, that's literally the same word, garnished the heavens, and his hand hath formed the crooked serpent. It's interesting that even in the book of Job, there's this contrast between a clearness, the, 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 when you look at the stars of heaven, God has created fairness in the sky, the ability to see, I, you know, a few years ago, well, it's more than a few years ago at this point, and I think I maybe shared this, I, I spent some time in Zambia, Africa. Spent a little more than a week in Zambia, Africa. And I had never been someplace so remote with so little uh, light pollution, right? Even in the United States, we've lived in Montana. There's low light pollution there. and We've been out on some beautiful non-light polluted nights, but it was very different in Zambia. Like you could look up and you could see a white streak across the sky that was the Milky Way. I mean, it was breathtaking, right? breathtaking. So this concept of heaven of, of God garnishing, creating a fairness of sky is, is just a beautiful picture that this midwife had this name that she wasn't going to allow anything to come between her and God. We're going to see that play out in her testimony. The second is um, Pua, this glimmering. She was literally reflecting the light of, or shining the light of the Lord. And many of you know the illustration of the moon, right? It doesn't have light of its own. It simply reflects the light of the sun. It, 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 it shines, but it doesn't, right? So it's not inappropriate uh, to say the moon is shining, but what it's actually doing is it's not generating its own light. It's reflecting. Notice that in Philippians uh, 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. I mean, how applicable is this verse to these ladies or Pua's situation. She's in the, a crooked and perverse nation and that she's going to be blamed for this action of killing these children, these boys. The, but she wants to be blameless and harmless uh, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. I mean, literally even this verse recorded thousands of years later um, reflects or, 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 or echoes probably use a different term, echoes back to her very name and the very situation she's in. Like, I mean, how beautiful was that? That these ladies are a testimony to what God can do in someone's life. That they are choosing not to allow anything to come between them and God, even the king, and that they will continue to shine the light of the Lord uh, in in their lives. Now, doing the office office of a midwife. So um, this literally is a an inscription in in Egypt. It's part of a much bigger, much much bigger inscription, and it literally is depicting an Egyptian woman sitting on a birthing stool, 
having a baby. Okay, That's the story that's being told in the bigger picture. So there are... Um, you know, women, even today, I, I guess I've never met a, a, a midwife or what's the other word I'm, I'm, I'm do, uh, do, do, doula? Uh, I've never met a male doula. I guess, I guess they potentially could exist, but I'll probably refer to them in the, in the feminine form. That, that these ladies doing the office of, of a midwife are helping in the a- actual delivery, the bearing of the child. Uh, I remember when Marshall was born and Michelle was was in, in labor. Um, it was interesting because, you know, we went... I don't... I remember it was my one chance to speed on the interstate. She's like, I think it's time to go to the hospital. I'm like, get in the truck! <laughs> At one point, Dukes of Hazard was... Like, it was, my, it was my chance. Like, go ahead and pull me over, cop, and then lead me to the hospital. This is like... And we got there, and you... I mean, you did... You did nothing for hours. <laughs> I mean, it was like you were just laying up in this hospital bed, just kicking back with ice chips whenever you wanted them or something. And we were there for how long before Marshall was, do you remember? It was, it was a few hours. It was a few hours between when we were living a relatively normal life at home until the point at which a baby was actually being born. Funny story, as if that part wasn't funny enough. Funny story, we actually went to church with the doctor who was on call out of the practice. I don't think it was necessarily a a wonderful moment for Michelle, just given all the dynamics, but... um, So, you know, she goes to this, this... she thinks Dr. A is going to come and Dr. B, who she's in class with, is showing up. So so he and I are talking about, like, we're out in the hall, we're catching up on discipleship, and, we're ca- and one of the nurses is like, doctor, <laughs> you know, like, don't forget why you're here. He's like, oh, yeah. So um, it wasn't quite that bad, but it, there was a little bit of a tinge of the office, like the hospital version of the office. Um, so there's, there's a process that goes on of labor before the actual pushing, before the actual delivery of the baby. And that's the point, at at least in this case, when you put the math together, when you put the dynamic of the order together, that, that these women have to get there, these midwife women get there for the delivery of the baby. Okay, and that's important. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read a, a, again a, a quote from a, a website that appeared to be reasonable with respect to such birthing and doula midwife resources. And one of them is about the birth stool or a birth chair. It's a device which supports a woman in a physiologically upright position during labor and birth. Right? Women have always found, and this is I don't. I don't know that this is accurate, so don't throw anything at me. If you throw anything at me, you can throw an empty water bottle, okay? 
women who've had have had children. So um, they have always found physical support from friends and relatives lapse during labor. There's a matter of fact, I did a little bit of careful internet research on such things, and there were a lot of historical pictures of women kind of laying in the lap, if you will, of their husband. So the husband is holding them upright so that they can bear. But very few historical pictures of women laying in a hospital bed like we do today. Okay, So birth stools are low, generally just a few inches off of the ground to allow a woman to brace her feet against the ground and often have armrests or handholds uh, for extra leverage uh, during the uh, pushing or expulsive stage of labor. Birth stools have been around for millennia. When the birth was the women's business before male doctors, uh, you know, and, and that sort of thing in modern medicine, birth stools stools were seen globally and you can actually look again but just be careful on such things but you, you can easily find historical antique ancient birth stools they're mentioned in the Bible and pictured on the walls of palaces in Egypt women are seen giving birth in supported upright position in Asian African and Native American art so why are they brilliant for women because women who do not lie down on the backs when they're in labor generally. Women are when women are free to choose, and they actually had some studies referenced here, I believe them, I but they appear to be scientific studies that when women are free to choose, they tend to move around and stay upright and change position often. And the availability of a birth stool is another way of supporting a position whilst remaining upright. Evidence from research clearly demonstrates the benefits of an upright position with six randomized controlled uh, studies or trials so far showing a reduction in the length of labor, less use of drugs to control pain, and greater, greater maternal satisfaction. Women who are flat on their backs are also more likely to have um, different in interventions and or require an instrumental birth, which obviously can cause uh, damage to the baby. So it's just really interesting to me that this is kind of like, I don't know if full circle is the right term, but the historical way of doing it, I mean, people, women have been in the business of delivering babies themselves, if you will, for, for millennia, uh, you know, and obviously there's a lot of modern medicine that, that is, is wonderful, but, but these midwives are supposed to get there at the time of the delivery when these women are actually on the stools. They're ready to deliver and that's the point where the midwife will step in and if it's a boy, presumably before the wife, the mother has an opportunity to understand the gender of the baby, would kill this ba boy, is, was the, the, the command, and girl they would leave alive. Now, I don't know what the, we don't, it's not recorded what the expectation was on how that would occur. I don't know if there was a suffocation component or whatever, and I don't, certainly I'm not trying to get too graphic, but the implication is almost that the family, that the mother would not know that the child was being killed as compared to the child as being born and having a medical complication. That's kind of the implication. Because we'll actually see later in the book of Exodus, you remember what's supposed to happen to the male children? You might remember? They're supposed to be 
how? Thrown in the river. Right? So the implication initially is, oops, your male child died and was just did not was not born alive. When that I mean, spoiler alert, that's gonna fail, right? Because of the faith of these two women. The king, the pharaoh, ups the ante and starts requiring the children to be uh, murdered in a different way, in a way that's well known, right? So that's the situation. I mean, it's a rough situation to be in. Like, I don't care what situation your boss has ever put you in, these ladies were in a more difficult situation. Like, it does not matter. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you thought you needed to lie, cheat, or steal for some other the, the purpose that someone else is putting on you, pressure on you, but this, the situation these women were in was dire. In theory, they don't follow the guidance of the king. They themselves could be killed, right? So the struggle. So we'll jump to our next verses. But the midwives feared God. And that's the victory that we're going to talk about today is having the right kind of fear. They feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. How did they find the way to save these men children alive? Uh, we'll actually see in a few minutes. Why have you, and, and, then, and the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the men, men children alive? Which is a horrible question to have to ask. Why is it that you saved life instead of snuffed it out? Like that's that shows how really twisted, how really bad of a position the Pharaoh king was in. So this death, murder, has up to this point been an acceptable solution to man. Okay, to sinful man. Now, these are just a few words. Kill is listed all these times. One, two, three, four, five times. To, they, someone was slew two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven times. Slay all those times. Other words that kind of mean to kill appear a handful of times. That's all just in the book of Genesis because of the history, right? That's the, we're, we're working, you know, it's the history of the Genesis of, of people up to this point. Like, this is, this is not an, un, un, this is going to sound bad. For a sinful man, it's not an unreasonable solution to a bad situation. Kill the dude. Kill the kid. This is what I want. This is about me. Uh, it's, it's just, unfortunately, an acceptable solution. I, I find it incredibly difficult, incredibly hard to fathom the king of Egypt saying, just kill all the male babies. Like, the, the lack of respect, the lack of, 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 of I, guess, I guess respect is the only word I can come up with, respect for human life at this point. Human life was cheap. It was just cheap. But, let me, let me be abundantly clear, just in case I came across wrong, it was known to be wrong. Okay? Just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. Like, it was an acceptable solution to the sinful man, but everybody knew it was wrong. According to Genesis 37, when we see the situation with Joseph and his brothers, some of which want to kill him, and Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. 
like that's bad. <laughs> and Reuben said, Shed no blood, but cast him into this um, pit that is in the wilderness. Lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver them to his father again. Reuben understood the seriousness of murder. They were, they were fixing to kill their brother because sinful man, that's one of the ways they solve problems, is they just kill people. Look at Romans 2, 15. Which show the, uh, show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Like from the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation of man, we have known that taking the life of another individual is wrong. Like we don't, we didn't even need the Ten Commandments to say that. But it's recorded because it's really the the fruit of the conscience. Okay, so we knew that it, they knew it was wrong. The king knew that it was wrong. Everybody knew it was wrong. The, and as a result, they didn't choose in that moment to justify. Their actions by saying, but they told me to. It would have been very easy. Well, no, that's that's trite. It would have been relatively easy for them to fear for their own lives and murder these innocent babies, although I'm sure they would deal with their own issues. That's got to be tough. Like, that's got to be... I've, I've heard wonderful, beautiful testimonies, un, unfortunately, of, of nurses who have worked... I don't know that I've ever heard a doctor uh, who's worked at abortion clinics about women who've come to Christ or have, have come to the conclusion of those actions being so wrong and the weight that they would bear every day when they leave those clinics because of what they knew down inside was happening. I can't imagine what these women would have gone through. Maybe that was a driver for them. But according to Scripture, they were more fearful of God and their relationship of God being damaged than they were fearing the king. So their fear drove their actions. Not the fear of man, but their fear of God. According to Genesis 20, and Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in, the pl- in this place, that they will slay, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. The lack of fear of God equals murder as a reasonable solution. Right? Do you see it in Genesis uh, in Genesis 20? We see it again in Genesis 42. This do and live, for I fear God. I fear God. And then you jump down to verses that are after this occurrence, right, that have not been... I mean, Genesis wasn't penned at the time Exodus is happening, but... But the point being, uh, the timeline, those principles, the things that were said were certainly reported in, in oral history and, and brought up through the Holy Spirit. But in Proverbs sixteen six, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Like, that's the thing that causes people to stop doing, like, any sin, any evil, is the fear of the Lord. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8.12, uh, Though a sinner do an evil a hundred times in his day be, days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which, which fear before him. Like, even though they're doing whatever they're going to do, 
a hundred times and it seems like they're getting away with it, I'm going to keep my right relationship with God because that's important. Even in the New Testament, Luke 12.5, But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Jesus is being very clear. I'm telling you who you should fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yeah. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Like, you know, it reminds me of a missionary story. I think I've shared this from, from this pulpit before, but the missionary family that is, and, and this is a, t- I, I need to go back and try to find if I can and pull up this, this account, but the, a missionary's family was being martyred. And the family was huddled together. The soldier pulls the father from uh, the family. And as he's walking away, knowing he's going to his death, he turns to his family and says, I'll see you in a few minutes. Wow. Wow. That's faith. Amen. That's faith. He doesn't say, be of good courage, be strong. He just says... I'll see you in a few minutes. It'll all be over. It's going to hurt for just a second. Maybe not even at all. And then you're going to wake up with a whole new perspective on eternal life. Jesus was very clear. I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear him which after he hath killed, after you're dead, the one that can put you in hell or allow you to go to hell, that's the one you need to fear. Even in Acts 5.29, And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Like, this is not even a tough equation. It's kind of hard sometimes in the application. Don't get me wrong. It's easy to say when I'm standing here and there's no one putting a gun to my head and asking me to recount my faith or they're going to pull the trigger. Like, I know it's super easy for me to say, The equation is not difficult. Fear God rather than man. The application can can in fact be difficult. So our first victory principle today, super deep concept, fear God, not man. I didn't even, I don't think I even gave you any blanks because it's just so straightforward. Fear God, not man. But what about the submission to authority angle? Because some people will argue on things less than murder, they'll argue, but my boss told me to. But the government said I had to do X or I couldn't do Y. I want to spend a few minutes talking about the submission to authority. In Romans 13, it says, let every soul, that's an important concept, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be, uh, not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, I guess I, I was going to say unfortunately, but I guess fortunately, this is talking about abiding by law, right? If you abide by law because the authority has been set over, over you and allowed by God, then you will be, you'll have praise of the same. You'll have a good relationship with the government and you'll move forward. Okay? 
That is generally a good principle. I know that there are people, maybe even people in this room or people listening, who believe that an income tax is not constitutional and they do not have to pay income tax. There are some people that do not get their car's license because they believe it's unconstitutional, that it is not the right of the government to tax the vehicle or to require. Some people take a position it is not reasonable for the government to tax your property, just you owning a house, a car, a tractor, or whatever, does not give the government right to tax, tax that. I get the argument. I actually am, I guess, sensitive to the argument. I'm not sure I disagree with the argument, but I pay my taxes. Okay? Jesus is very clear about that principle in Scripture. So this, the power that's set up, the authority that's set up for us, we have to, uh, we have to follow because God allowed it. And, and trust me, this is like way easier than what people have dealt with through the millennia or, or even what people in a lot of part of the world are dealing with today. Like, we got it pretty easy with respect to our government. Okay? Now, remember, we're in Romans 13.5, the same passage just a little farther down. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Because it's right in our hearts to follow the authority that God has placed above us. Okay? That is right. You're going to be violating your conscience. You're going to be violating Scripture if you're not subject. But what about wicked authority? Well, wicked authority is obvious. Proverbs 29.2 When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. Now, look, do not apply this to both sides of the aisle. This is not what this is talking about. Okay? I do not fundamentally believe that Trump or Biden, or we could go back because it flips, right? Obama or Bush or um, Clinton or Bush. But, like, this is not about the two types, the two sides of the aisle. I generally don't believe. I think they make some bad decisions sometimes that I don't agree with. Again, both sides of the aisle. But I don't think they're really wicked people. Like, I don't think they're walking around and just looking at people saying, I don't like the way they look, kill them. Now, maybe that's the case, but I don't think so. But when the wicked are bare rule, the people mourn. That is seen throughout history. There have been wicked, wicked, most the vast, vast, vast majority of them men, men who've killed their wives, their, their queens, because their inability to produce a son. Right? Exactly. So when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice because they have the freedom to do. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. And then let them decide within their context of what's right or wrong. You do the right thing relative to God. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, you judge that. Judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. If you're telling me I have to shut my mouth and I can't speak about the things of God, I'm going to do it. You judge whether you have the authority to deal with me on that. That's on your side. I'm going to do the right thing. Okay? 
And there is, as a result, a proper priority. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we've, we looked at this already, we ought to obey God rather than men. And 1 Peter 2.17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And when this is written, kings weren't nearly as respectful and, and reasonable as what we're dealing with today. No king that I'm aware of, and in, in, let me rephrase, no president, no leader in the modern world has generally edicted something like kill all the boy children. <laughs> like, it's just a different dynamic. Now, we have to deal with the issues of our day. We, fortunately, we weren't these midwives that had to deal with their issue, but we've already talked a little bit about income tax and property taxes. But, but let me just be clear. When the government said for a few weeks, shut down for COVID, we're going to follow the government. I do not believe that's a violati- violating the scripture of forsaking the gathering together. Now, if they said you had to shut down for a year, now it feels like I'm forsaking. But for a few weeks, with the unknown, with the technology we had and still able to gather virtually, it seemed reasonable. I'm not sure in hindsight it really helped. That's another discussion for another time. Because I'm still waiting for that curve to flatten. right? But... We did not want to be a reproach to Christ for taking a position that was otherwise reasonable. It was reasonable for this church to shut down, I think, for six weeks, still have an online service for the vast majority of our folks could still access that. But after that, we came back. And we were going to meet. Now, there were examples, and I think you've seen the story of the, the, the pastor in Canada who was actually arrested because he was so vocal about not meeting. Different country, different circumstances. But, but at the end of the day, we're going to take a stand about doing the right thing yet still be reasonable. After that initial wave of, of shutdowns and, and lockdowns, we did come back together. You could make an argument that we didn't follow every uh, you know, public health measure to a T with respect to requiring masks more or make, ensuring, you know, forcing social distance. I mean, you, you, okay, we can have those debates and, and hopefully we can have them respectfully. <clears throat> but we were going to keep meeting. Now, there's places in the, in, the, in the country, there's places in this city where if we set up with a microphone and start preaching, they're going to require us to leave. And did you know they have the right to do that? Because you don't get to define the way speech, pub, uh, you know, your First Amendment right, is delivered. They don't necessarily have the right to tell you that you can't speak to someone about Christ, but they might have the ability to control the style, the manner, the technique in which you do it. They may remove your your bullhorn. They may have you leave because of the way you're doing it. But they can't stop the interaction. So I'm going to bring up a... How do you deal with this? This is C4 is an actual law in Canada now that I think I've referenced. It 
prohibit certain activities that relate to conversion therapy. This is the language of the law. I, I did not edit it. Uh, it's defined as a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, to change a person's gender identity to cisgender, uh, to change a person's gender expression so that it forms to, to the sex assigned to the person at birth, to reproduce, to repress or reproduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, to repress a person's non-cisgender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the assigned sex assigned at the, to the person at birth. There are a lot of Christians in Canada that are worried that preaching from the pulpit will violate this, this position. They have a reasonable argument. They have a reasonable concern that the government could come in and say, well, no, you're trying to change a person's sexual orientation. If they're homosexual, you're trying to change by preaching something. Well, guess what? If I'm standing in, the, in, in Toronto or any other part of Canada, I'm not preaching to change someone from homosexual to heterosexual. If, if that's my message, I'm wrong. I'm doing it wrong. Because guess what? It doesn't matter who they sleep with. They're still going to hell. Amen. The message is, you're a sinner... Let's set that issue aside. You're a sinner in some other way. You're going to fall short of the glory of God and you need Christ. And if you get Christ, I'll let him worry about your sexual orientation. Amen. <laughs> like, I don't have... Like, my goal as a believer, every one of you that walk in here, guess what? It really doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. Because I'm going to preach holiness... I'm going to preach righteousness and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work that out in you because I can't get into all the nuances of your life about whether you're actually lying about this or whether you're not lying about this, whether it's true or not. Like, like that's the job of the Holy Spirit to conform you. Yeah. That's not my job. I don't, ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't have a problem with this because that's not what I'm preaching. But there are churches in Canada... Some of them have the same denomination moniker that we might that preach a person who's homosexual is wrong and therefore a person that is heterosexual is right. It's the wrong message. Right. So I've left myself three whole minutes for the victory. <laughs> so the midwives said unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, I love this dig. I love this dig. Well, Pharaoh, well, king, my people, they're more lively. They're stronger. They're not as stupid Egyptian... I added that. You're Egyptian women. For they're lively and are delivered before I get there. So how am I supposed to kill them if they're already delivered? They don't even need my services. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and, and waxed very mighty. Do you see what the women did here? They were late to the party. And I'm quite certain they were late on purpose. Right. Is that true in all situations? Okay. <laughs> Careful now. Careful I think I think there is a verse in scripture that talks about that that there's spa that men you know, I've shared with you that when men get to 
heaven before women, right? I'll have to do another. There's a verse that said there's there's silence in the space of heaven for about a half an hour. So clearly men get there before women. (laughs) We're all just like... (sighs) And then the women show up. No. Did I go too far? Okay. So, So the midwives are very smart here. Got a lot of got a lot of babies coming at us, boss. Got a lot of babies coming. Like three or four a day. I mean, every time I get there, these women have already had their baby. What am I supposed to do? Rip the baby out of their arms and then kill them? That's all sorts of trouble for you, boss. See how wise they are? So wisdom is in play. Oops. Wisdom is in play. Matthew 10, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents. Be as wise as they are. As the bad folks are. But don't do any harm. Harmless as does. Now notice, it's interesting, being a wise as a serpent. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Okay? The serpent was subtle. Do you know what the word subtle also is translated in the King James English as crafty? He was crafty. Twice that, that's, that Hebrew word comes across as crafty and the implication is really bad. But eight times it comes across as prudent or good. Did you know that you can be wise as a serpent, subtle as a serpent, and be good. Yes, sir. You don't have to come to the same conclusion that Satan comes to and challenging the Word of God, but you can certainly be as subtle. You can, you can come in and, and, and Luke 21, For I give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. You know how? Because you keep your mouth shut. See, then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. These women figured it out. I'll just be late. Then I don't have to do a thing. They don't have to do a thing. Our last point, and we'll close. Their plan required less work on their part and more work on God's part. Because that meant their job was in jeopardy. Not really. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know how many times a doula or a midwife has to apply the, the, the knowledge they know, or even the doctors and the nurses have to apply the knowledge they know uh, to, to deliver a baby safely. Like, I'm sure the vast majority of the time, because it's happened all through history, babies are delivered... <laughs> Like they had delivered in taxis and Ubers and and buses. Like babies are delivered now. Could there be damage? Could there be collateral? You know, of course, right? And I'm not I'm not minimizing the medical expertise of either of these groups. But their their plan was whatever the complications were from the delivery was better <laughs> than me having to kill that kid. Yeah. So God, I need you to show up in those deliveries. Because I, I can't even do my part. I need you to do yours. Job, he, he disappointed the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. So, so he, they step back. They intend evil. They managed a, a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. 
Mr. Miyagi School of Self-Defense, the best defense for a punch, no be there. The best way to save these kids alive, let the birth happen naturally. Let God just step in. Let God intervene. So it brings us to our last victory principle, and I'm landing us two minutes late. When it is greater than you, the situation was greater than these midwives, the more you try to do, the less successful you'll be. When it's greater than you, step back and let God be God. Am I going to change Canada's constitutional C4 about conversion therapy? Is If we plant a church... In, in in Toronto, this is going to be, we're going to have to deal with this. That's not our, look, we are not going to fight to change Canada's laws. We don't do it here. Because that's not what we've been called to do. It's bigger than us, so we're going to step back and let God be God. Because that's going to have the best outcome. These women were so stinking wise by just not doing their job. Now, now don't get me wrong. I am not telling you tomorrow for show up and just kick your feet up on the desk and say, boss, the guy who was teaching my class yesterday said, I don't have to do anything and God's going to show up and take care of it for me. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> that is not it. But the less you try to interject yourself in a situation that's bigger than you are, the better off you're going to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the lesson that we can have victory in fear, fearing you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us, for, for finding out the solution and then executing on the solution for our sin, which was your death in our place. Thank you. Thank you for helping these women find a solution. Scripture goes on to say, and I didn't mention it, that you gave them houses. I don't know why that was important, why that was a big deal, but you blessed these ladies. You blessed them because of the fact that they feared you more than they feared the king. Help us fear you more than whatever the circumstance is. Help us to always have our mind, uh, stay, our eyes, our hearts stayed on you. When we do that, you can work, and you can work mightily. You can work supernaturally, and you can you. It, it just it's a better story when you show up, Lord, than when we try to do it. We thank you and praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, have a great day in the Lord.